but through a lot of prayer, a lot of accountability, a lot of therapy, a lot of love and grace and like fun moments and trust, we have built something that I am so proud of. Mm -hmm. And so our story looks different than everybody else's and and that's okay. Welcome to the Grit and Grace space. Come along as we explore experiences, cultivate community, and grow our appetite for adventure. Here we go. Today we sit down with Morgan Peppers Duke, who is just, if you think of the word sunshine, think of Morgan. She is completely brilliant and bright, and she's always willing to lend a helping hand no matter what the circumstances. She does that as a nurse practitioner in a neurology unit. She does that as a photographer, as a side hustle that is like sincerely a thriving business. And she does that as a dear friend and wife. And you will see throughout the podcast exactly what I mean by that. When I was recording the body of the podcast, I just had chills over and over and over again. We dive deep into vulnerabilities of marriage and what family looks like for each of us and how our faith braids into our everyday life. It might not always be perfect. It's something that in community we continue to strengthen. And so I am so blessed to have Morgan as a part of my community. And I look forward to you guys getting to hear how fantastic she is as well. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Today we are here with the one and only Morgan Peppers Duke. (laughs) Morgan is a nurse by day and a photographer. Is there a female version of that word? Mm-mm. Okay. Nurse practitioner, though. Nurse practitioner. Yeah. By day. Yeah. I was a nurse at one point, but I didn't we realize worked, that we worked much harder and got yeah. a few extra stars. Yes. Bing <laughs> yes. bing. Yes. <laughs> and but and like I guess like we'll sidetrack, but you're. Your specialty is like in neurology mm-hmm. focused, yes, right? Correct. And so, was that part of your like nurse practitioner or not? Mm-mm. I trained as a family nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. so that was what my degree and specialty was in, and then kind of just subspecialized from there just based on training. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I never wanted to do neurology, hated all of that in school, and then the Lord was like, You're gonna do neurology, so here Ooh. I am. <laughs> and a majority of that is like stroke patients. Mostly I treat Parkinson's and dementia. Okay. Also epilepsy, stroke, migraines, mm. neuropathies, spinal disorders, mm. yeah, strokes as well. Mm-hmm. So. Is it outpatient? Mm-hmm. Okay. Outpatient? Yep. So people book appointments and then they come see you and you have your clients and it's Correct. pretty normal. Yeah, normal. I see them every three to six to 12 months so mm-hmm. for follow-up. So. And you ha- you work with a doctor. Do you guys have cases together, or how does that work? What's that? So she typically sees them first as an initial new patient visit, and then 
I specialize in certain things and so she'll send them to me and I'll follow up with them over the years and of course I use her if I need help with anything and Mm -hmm. she kind of has her own pool of patients that she sees she passes some to me I pass some back so we have a good working relationship in that regard oh that's awesome and that's in Phoenix City right it's actually in Opelika oh okay Mm -hmm. so I drive every day (laughs) is that 20 minutes 30 minutes about 40 yeah (laughs) yeah it's a tough oh my gosh but you've been there for a while now yeah I've been at the hospital for 13 years wow so I've been an NP for five so I've been making the drive for some time yes yes goodness gracious so how do you spend the time on the drives (laughs) usually trying to be patient with the other drivers around me (laughs) I do a variety. Sometimes I listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Sometimes I spend it praying. Sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I talk on the phone. Sometimes I sit in silence. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I get on audiobook kicks. And so a lot of times that's where I spend most of my time. Is it mostly fiction or nonfiction? I like both. Um, I try to do a nice balance. If I spend a while doing fiction, then I try to, every time I read a book, I kind of switch to a different mm-hmm. category to kind of keep me intrigued with reading. Mm-hmm. So I I really like nonfiction the best. I love food memoirs and World War II history. So those are usually where I kind of hone in on. And more memoirs in general, like people with past history of abuse or trauma, that kind of bleeds into my work. And so that kind of helps me understand that patient demographic. Interesting. And so we sort of got off on a tangent with like <laughs> the first descriptor from my perspective. You are a woman of faith, a yogi. I think you're like the fun wife. You know, there's <laughs> like the cool mom. You're like the fun wife and that. an avid traveler. And so my first question is, this is how I see. I see you through my eyes knowing you for the last two and a half-ish years, but how would you describe yourself? Hmm. That's a tough question. (laughs) I would describe myself as fun. I think that that's because that's what I seek out of life, and there's enough work in life, and I think there needs to be more play, and play in a, I mean that in a, like, respectful, that's a that term has different meanings for each person. So for me, play is spending time with friends and traveling and doing yoga and trying new things and enjoying arts and culture and really trying to squeeze everything that you can out of life or life will do that to you. So I think it's so important to kind of take every moment by the horns. Is that the saying? Take the bull by the horns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take every moment by the horns and just kind of live life to its fullest, you know? So I try to do that for sure. So I think that I would describe myself as fun. I would describe myself as very hardworking. I am an Enneagram three. I don't know much about the Enneagram, but anytime I see anything that talks about the three, I'm like, yeah, that's that's me. Mm -hmm. I like to achieve. So there's part of me that's perfectionist. Also part of me that likes to procrastinate. So that's a delicate balance. And I also am a big feeler. I'm a big thinker. I love people. And so I love people in all different capacities. My job is service oriented. I feel like that's where part of my faith comes in and my platform to serve the Lord. 
but with that I'm also a people pleaser so I would use that to describe myself as well mm. I love to please people because I want everyone to be happy all the all the time and I know that's not realistic but I think that goes back to being fun I just want I just like a fun happy atmosphere <laughs> where was there ever a time growing up where you feel like you weren't a people pleaser or do you know maybe where that came from hmm I feel like I've always been that way. Mm -hmm. I think in all of my relationships, for better or for worse, I have always been that way. I've always wanted to please my parents. I've always wanted to please teachers. I've always wanted to please boyfriends and now my husband. Even so much as, con and even friends, like conforming to what they want and kind of latching on to what their idea of me might be or um, liking the things that they like even if I really don't and I act like I do. Um, <clears throat> I can use the example I, you mentioned that I love to travel and I do and um, I spent a lot of time traveling in my earlier years with one friend and I feel like I kind of conformed to what that friend really liked to do and as I got older I didn't really like to do the same things but I still just kind of went along with it and so as I've grown I recognize that about myself and have worked to say that it's okay that I like doing something different and stand up for that so that's been that's been huge in my adult life mm -hmm. I'm still I still love to please people and I I don't want people to be upset I want them to have fun but also recognizing like I have a say in this too I have an opinion and that matters earlier this year I think it maybe was around new year but you talked about being more intentional with boundaries mm -hmm. and so I remember an example you mentioned was uh, booking a session a photography session on your birthday and like mm -hmm. in the past you know you you may have been more inclined to say yes to fill that person's need but you said no and even I guess it sounded like getting closer and closer to that date you're like gosh like was that the right decision mm -hmm. and then of course after you're so you know pleasantly surprised and like amped up and it sounded like there was an increase in confidence too where you you did the thing it was right for you and mm -hmm. like talk a little bit more about that boundaries have been a huge like conversation in my life as of recently because working two jobs the lord was so gracious to kind of like plant my feet in both and show me how to pursue both and granted that it is not perfect and some days I feel like a mess and I really struggle but with that I've had to exercise boundaries or else I am going to be the worst version of myself and so it has started out small with just saying like I mean I going back to people pleasing I would say yes to so many things that I would cancel a massage or I would cancel yoga or I would cancel things that truly I knew were giving back to self and so in the end I was feeling so depleted so once I recognized that I was like okay I provide a service and I can say no and it doesn't mean that I think I, there's always this fear that like you're gonna lose business or people are gonna lose you're gonna lose respect mm -hmm. and that's not the case so I started just I mean, I'm learning as I go, but it started with small things, and I've grown, and now I set big boundaries. Like, I set boundaries, like, this whole day, I'm not, I put schedule nothing on my calendar, and that day becomes mine, mm -hmm. and I say no to shoots if it, if I know that it's going to deplete me, mm -hmm. and 
you know, that's saying no to work and that's possibly saying no to this client may not ever call me again, but I think that's part of it because it's like, what good am I going to, what am I going, what is that going to say, you know, when I'm kind of like a worse version of myself because I'm just saying yes to everything. So this has been kind of a theme in my life, in my adult life, since I kind of started doing photography and nursing really having to learn balance so that I can be present for myself and for everyone around me yeah and that's so huge because even though you know you're taking one step back to take two steps forward or Mm -hmm. whatever in the sense that you have to fill your cup up in order to be your best self for the people you interact with there's still a feeling of hesitancy that you don't want to disappoint them or Mm -hmm. you know so I guess for you recently you made a big decision last year going from full-time nurse practitioner to taking a step back and doing part-time mm-hmm. I it's still like more than part-time it's, though I know and, you know I keep saying part-time and people are like mm, it's still very uh, not part-time. right like, I'm like okay yeah it's I work 30 technically 32 hours a week there. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of shaved off some time on the end of my week. So I work half days on Thursdays and not on Fridays. But then I end up working more photography-wise, like at the end of my week. So Mm -hmm. finding a balance in that is has been very interesting. And I will not say that it is, it's really never smooth. Like, but I'm learning to kind of follow, like, ask for help when I need it. Say, saying no is the big key. And that I I literally wrote in my notes section the other day, like I wrote out boundaries and a list of things like, because my husband coaches football and fall is crazy season for us. And every year since I've started photography, I work on Saturdays and I'm off on Sundays because I just considered that my Sabbath. That's the day we went to church, but Trip goes to work on Sundays um, for football. So I reconfigure my boundaries so that I don't work on Saturdays and I work on Sundays when he goes to work so that we have more time together. That was huge for me. But it has been because so, I was like, oh, man, families are not going to want to, you know, they're going to want me available on Saturdays. But I've had no trouble, you know. And so it's really comforting, like when you put boundaries in and you're scared that you're going to get some kickback. And I haven't met any kickback. And so that's just proof to me that, like, yeah, this needed to happen. And there's freedom in setting boundaries and in saying no and to be honest, every time I've set boundaries, business has grown and I've been more successful. So it's just affirmation that boundaries are healthy, boundaries need to happen, and usually we learn the hard way. So I learned the hard way by being so depleted with self, exhausted, not sleeping, you know, you might have health issues, whatever it might be, your relationships might struggle, you may become distant from things, and for me, I've ridden all of those waves and those waves still come but I'm learning I just re set different boundaries and change those boundaries and seasons and I will give a shout out to our friend Tony working with Tony like after COVID Tony and I became friends and that was a weird time for everyone and so that she was she just helped me recognize like whoa you need to slow down like this is too much and I was like wait I've always been doing life like this like oh oh okay I do need to take care of myself so that's when I started really paying attention to like what does slowing down look like and what does taking time for myself look like and what does stepping back sometimes look like so yeah especially when you're you have that 
you've made that groove in your system that going fast, hard, all out is what I'm natural at. It's what I'm comfortable in. And, and you sort of get like drawn in a sense to that suffering. And mm-hmm. so when you take a step back and reorient, that's uncomfortable as well mm-hmm. because you're learning to slow down. And then for me, at least part of me is like, well, if I slow down, then I'm weak and yeah, then I'm not successful. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so it's shifting the perspective of, I mean, going back to looking at it through a biblical lens, like mm-hmm. God wants us to have fun and rest and create and be joyful. And so if you're doing all of these things at the expense of living the way that he wants us to live, it's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah. That's... And to know true rest that the Lord offers, like I had this conversation with an artist recently, like there's so much noise in our lives. I feel like there's always so much noise in my life. And when there is so much noise, a lot of times the Holy spirit or God's voice or whatever you use there is squelched, squelched. And so that voice becomes, it's already a quiet voice, but it, um, it becomes non-existent. And so you truly can't follow that direction for your life because you're allowing other things to fill that space. And you're saying, no, I'm going to trudge through. I I'm going to fix, I'm going to do, I'm going to go, I'm going to achieve. And that's, those things are okay. You know, he gives us skills, but they're, it's so noble to step back and to wrestle with like, emptiness and free time and space and I think that that's where our true like service begins because Mm -hmm. when my schedule looks so overwhelming I told my counselor today I just want margin to be able like if someone needs help you know watching their dog or running an errand or anything I want to be able to say yes but I'm still not good at that because my life is lived so fast paced and I don't want to glorify that Mm I is successful and I am learning the opposite now and so and there are seasons to hustle and be busy and your schedules are full but you know that's that shouldn't be every season so my my counselor actually said today she said I want you to think about what pacing looks like pacing your day pacing your week and um yeah really just being aware of what that pace looks like for you so Right, building sustainability. Mm-hmm. So we'll go sort of straight into this. Sure. How, you know, harmony and boundaries and, you know, that push and pull is a constant struggle. Where do you find that you do it well? I will say this current season of life, I'm not doing it well. And I used to, <laughs> I'd really like to tell you that, yeah, I figured it out. But I'm currently in a space where... I'm not doing it well. And so I'm trying to reevaluate some things. Um, when I do it well, I am making sure that I have boundaries around my weeknights that I come home from my day job. So I don't really schedule anything on those nights. Um, and football season is hard, but spending as much time with trip, like quality time really helps in setting boundaries around our time and that usually means like no phones we do something very intentional together and then I I do it well when I actually stick to the boundaries that I set and in my line of work meaning photography I have a lot of people who 
call and say I need photos. Hey, are you available tomorrow for a shoot? And of course, if I have work, I have to say no. But I will say, well, I can, I mean, I've done shoots at 6 a.m. before my day job because they needed it. And so I've learned like, that's an absolutely, that's an absolute no. Like, I'm not going to do that because it, it, if you contact me two days before it's due, like, I want you to respect my time and I'll respect your time. Like, you need to ask me far enough in advance to where it's not a rush. So just kind of navigating that and saying no when appropriate is when I do it well and I feel confident and proud of that I'm feeling that more than the burden of saying no like oh I didn't people please like I, I'm growing in that and I can tell that I've grown in that yeah. so I'm like yeah I said no is great <laughs> right right and then when it works out well you're like oh yeah exactly like, people don't hate me <laughs> exactly and I, I mean I still do stuff like you know I say no on a Tuesday night but I'll I'm like oh but I have an hour that I was going to dedicate to myself on Friday, I'll just squeeze them in there. So there's still this, you know, push and pull of like, okay, well, I said no to this boundary, but I still squeezed them in at a time that is still not, you know, I guess right for me or takes away from me. So I'm still learning that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And oh, I was going to say something else, but I completely forgot. Uh, oh, yes. So when you have that extra time in the margins you're like oh I have all this free time I can squeeze all of this extra stuff in and you're like no that's not the point exactly yeah yeah if I see any blank if you looked at my schedule from now until like December you would be sad along with me because <laughs> my mind is like create margin and then when you look at my schedule you're like but you didn't create any and <laughs> it's like my schedule's so full of good things but it's also like you also need to have time where there's nothing on your schedule, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a, we're figuring, yeah. figuring it out. <laughs> we'll get it there. We'll get it there. How would you contrast your personality, what you've described with your siblings growing up? Oh, Tyler and Cullen and I are very different. I have two younger brothers. I'm the oldest. Tyler, my middle brother. He, we were very close growing up, very close, like arm in arm at school. We rode to school every morning together. He is so fun and definitely a role model for me in high school, like just lived out his faith in such a wild way. And so I gravitated towards him and his friends. So they became my friends in high school. And then he went away to college. He played football at UAB. And so with that, I feel like that relationship changed and I was getting married as well so life looked different and our personalities are different I don't know they're they're very similar I feel like he married a woman who's very similar to me as well but yeah Tyler's fun and outgoing so we definitely bond in that Colin my younger brother I would say I'm the most different from he is so laid back he's an he's an engineer so very smart brain but the most patient human I've ever met and me and my other brother are are not that way like easily like angry in traffic very loud outgoing Cullen is reserved I mean I remember we went to his 21st birthday party and we're there's a big age gap and I saw him around his friends and I was like oh my gosh Cullen's funny like growing up he played video games and was kind of a loner to himself spent a lot of time in his room and I was that was not me I was always Tyler and I were out, middle of the crowd, people, like, just, so I'm, I am most different from my younger brother, but I look up to him so much because he's just a beautiful man of faith, the way that he leads his family, and 
it's just it's been wonderful watching them grow up but there are there are plenty of differences I can't think of any as far as my middle brother and I right now but after this I'm sure I'll think of something (laughs) (laughs) how did it sounds like you all three of you are are very strong in your faith and that Mm -hmm. came very early on so Mm -hmm. how did that like talk more about where that came from and Mm -hmm. how that's grown over time so that would be a product of the way that my parents raised us we we were raised in church from a barely early age we were very involved in activities at church my parents were very involved and looking back I'm very thankful for that because they just instilled while and this is a little bit of vulnerability into my parents marriage and my home life but I really struggled maybe with my parents' marriage because it it didn't line up with the way that they parented us. I feel like they did an absolutely amazing job parenting us, but I kind of saw a disconnect with their relationship between each other. So that was always very interesting to me, and I've kind of carried that with me my whole life. But they parented us so well, and they taught us biblical truth. And I actually was having this conversation with someone earlier this week about our image as women and how we see ourselves. And my, I never heard my mom say a bad thing about herself or me. Like, mm-hmm. there was never body image talk as far as, like, nitpicking or I don't like this. Or, I mean, I never heard her talk negative about herself. And I'm sure she had things she didn't like and maybe things she didn't like about what I chose for myself. But never did I ever hear that and so growing up it it taught me confidence in self and so I always walked into a room with confidence because I just I mean I have things about myself of course you know I struggle with but I have a base of this like confidence of who how I was created and and she always spurred me on and told me I was capable of whatever I, I could do whatever I put my mind to and then to speak on my dad my dad loved me I feel like he's the perfect earthly example of what our heavenly father looks Mm -hmm. like and I was so close to my dad and so that really shaped my faith you know they say that our faith is closely linked to our relationship with our dad and I see that in how some of my friends and their dad's relationships were different than mine but I never have doubted once in my life who the Lord is and that he loves me even if I've been distant and chosen to wander in seasons Mm -hmm. I always come back to the fact that the Lord is good and he is a good father and he is generous and he's gracious and he's just and so I've never doubted those things and it that comes so easy but it's because of the way that my parents taught us and I'm sure that they you know I would love to talk to them about what their struggles were but they sure did a good job of instilling those truths in us and I will be forever grateful for that that's amazing forever grateful <clears throat> yeah and in the fact that all three of you it sounds like um, received that gift mm-hmm. and that's really beautiful so you grew up in Columbus and your extended family is also in Columbus well Yeah, so I grew up actually in Opelika. That's where I'm from. And I lived there for 22 years until I got married. That's where all my family was. So my parents and both of their parents. So both grandparents were within three miles of us. I spent a lot of time with both sides and they were amazing. It was, family was always close. My aunts lived nearby. Yeah, everybody was really there. And then I got married and moved to Phoenix City with my husband and we've been here, I've been here for the last 10 years. 
So it's crazy how fast yeah. time flies. <laughs> flies. Ten yeah. years. Yeah, we celebrate our ten year anniversary in January. Oh, I know. What are you gonna do? We're gonna renew our vows. Oh yeah. yeah. Where? We're gonna travel first. And <laughs> on the river, we have a friend who's gonna officiate, and hopefully, one of our other good friends that's gonna take pictures. So Aww. it'll be a private ceremony, just us and. Yeah, the Lord's just been faithful in really these last few years. Tripp and I have grown exponentially, and mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. So, so last few years, meaning last five years, or what did your relation... Also, before I ask that question, Trip to me, seems like a very patient person. Mm-hmm. Seems like maybe mm-hmm. closer in personality to your youngest brother. Yeah. And so... That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Connection. Yes. Trip is very patient and very loyal. I would, yeah, I've never thought about him being similar to my younger brother. Because, you know, they say that you marry your dad. I didn't really marry my dad, and I was so close to my dad, but my dad is very outgoing, like mm. him and I, kindred spirits. I, I married kind of my opposite. I mean, quiet, reserved, but, like, his personality, he is loyal, and he is, he has a huge servant heart. A lot of people might not give him, like, get to know him because he is so quiet. But, yeah, very much like my younger brother, and I I admire that. Yeah, Colin's a good one, so that's okay that Tripp's like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somehow that could be weird in some way, but for the audience, this is not weird. This is normal. <laughs> so how has your relationship, like, talk through, you know, the first three years, the middle three years, and maybe the last mm. four years, what that's mm-hmm. looked like? So, to save time on the podcast, we got, I got married very young, so I started dating Tripp when I was a senior in high school, and, like, I was about to graduate, and he was graduating college, so kind of fast-tracked me into adult life, I guess, because our sights were set on getting married, and so I really didn't play around in college at all. I worked, like, three jobs and went to school, and I, and going back to the jobs, my parents, nobody ever told me I had to work, but... I loved to work. I loved to work. I wanted to do all the jobs, all the things, and I found joy in that. But so from a very early time frame, I have been quote unquote hustling, like, but I do love to work. Anyways, I would say just being very vulnerable and also out of respect for Trip, I really struggled our first seven years of marriage, mm. to be honest. I never felt like we had a honeymoon period. There were not, I had, I did have doubts and Drip knows all of this. I would not say anything that he does not already know. But I really struggled. I was young. I didn't necessarily feel like I was missing out on anything, but I really had a hard time with our personalities being so different. And our vision for what our lives looked like was different. And I really struggled with that. And, like, we dated for five and a half years, so, like, I knew him well by the time we got married. But I think that I just did not face some of those deep doubts that I had. So then moving forward to, like, that's, like, the first three years. And then the middle three years, we're, like, well into our careers. I had lots of stressors. My husband, I mentioned earlier, he's a football coach. So, like, every year, you would have thought that I would have known what's coming. But I I didn't know. It, It hit me like a train every single season. And with that, I think that there was a lot of loneliness. And... I made some terrible decisions within those years and really put distance between us. And I got to the point at year six where I was 
I told Tripp I did not want to be married anymore. And looking back, it seems like such an appendage that like is no longer part of my life. And that is through grace and how the Lord has helped us heal. And Tripp and I, Tripp and I look so different than we did. Like we are two completely different people than we were when we first got married. And I think that that's just a testament to what the Lord can do in two people's lives through very terrible decisions on both of our parts, but through a lot of prayer, a lot of accountability, a lot of therapy, a lot of love and grace and like fun moments and trust, we have built something that I am so proud of. And that looking back, like I kind of feel like our marriage started three years ago. Like we are in our honeymoon phase. We, I'm having the best time of my life. And I think that he would say the same thing. I mean, I see life so differently. We've walked some really hard roads and I'm proud that our testimony looks the way that it does. I'm not proud of, you know, things that I've done, but I'm proud of where we are. And I want to celebrate in that. So yeah, I would say I kind of divide it up by the first six years of marriage, really, and then mm-hmm. the last four. And mm-hmm. the last four have truly been what my idea of marriage always has been. I think the idea of marriage of what my parents would have liked for me mm-hmm. and what a biblical marriage looks like. It's, it's that marriage that you dream of when you're a kid. Like, you want to be loved a certain way. And I can tell you that Trip loves me like and pursues me like the Lord pursues the church. And so it just took us a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. And so our story looks different than everybody else's and, and that's okay. <laughs> Has he always been strong in his faith the way that you've been in yours? No. Hit, what Tripp would say is that they grew up going to church, but there was not, faith was not really a conversation in their household. So when we started dating, he was going to church, but as far as us both acting out our faith, that was not happening. It was one of those things that like you knew you wanted to get to a certain point and you wanted the Lord to be first, but we did not orchestrate that well. And so we entered into our marriage with the Lord not being the first thing. And so that was, that was number one mistake. And so no, Trip would say that his faith really, and when we got married, he didn't really know how to have those conversations. So he grew up in the church. He grew up Methodist. I grew up Baptist. It's neither here nor there, but things were just a little bit different by the, the ways that we were taught. Um, but because he was a history teacher, he kind of saw things a little bit more like practically and open-minded. And so I re- we really struggled early on having conversations of like what faith actually looks like um, until some big moments happened for us. And um, we both got really close to the Lord. And so now I would say faith is a huge part of both of our lives. And And I'll be honest, like I grew up and was raised in faith, but I didn't act out as my image portrayed. So Mm -hmm. I knew the things, I wanted to practice the things, but the enemy knows where we are weak. And I really lived in that cycle for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, so in the last, in the last three years, have you seen, how have you seen, I guess, God work through your marriage that brings you guys together, you know, despite your personality differences Mm -hmm. and, you know, what you both find entertaining, like how, like what's an example Mm -hmm. of that? I would say backing up to four years ago, we were both kind of put on our knees and it was one of those situations where it was like, we had nowhere, we had nowhere to go, but to turn to the Lord. Like that was 
that was it for both of us. And so our prayer life strengthened. And for the first time in our marriage, we actually learned to pray together. Mm -hmm. And that is so vulnerable. That is so hard. It is something I always wanted, but we never did, like other than dinnertime prayers. But truly opening up in that aspect of your life, I don't know, it drew us together in such a close way. I can't, I can't even explain. And I wish we would have learned that so much earlier, but, but we didn't. So we still definitely have our personality differences and how we talk about our faith and exercise our faith. I'm very open. I am fine with being vulnerable. I'm fine with talking about the hard things because that's where we as Christians um, and humans, we connect with each other. You know, there's, there's no judgment at this, the things that I've been through and the decisions I've made. I have, no judgment for others at this point and so to allow conversations about faith like to be bold and to speak boldly I'm like we have no choice like time is of the essence you know like I want to see eternity and so I want to live out my faith to the fullest while I'm here Tripp lives that differently Mm -hmm. he is way more quiet and so you're gonna find Tripp in the background serving and loving people out say the football boys like that is his platform and so his faith is lived out so differently but that's okay you know and I think for a while I thought (laughs) he'll remind me sometimes he's like you want me to look like you and I'm like okay so I'm pushing my narrative onto him and so I struggle with that because I'm like is your faith strong if it doesn't look like mine Mm. I'm speaking that thought out I've, I've never actually spoken that out but I think it's beautiful that our faiths faiths looks different our pathways look different there's strength in that so his weaknesses are my strength and vice versa Mm, that's incredible (laughs) I'm so passionate about marriage because of how the Lord redeemed ours I just it's I don't know I I just love it I love marriage. God is cool. God is cool. (laughs) So would you be willing to talk a little bit about, like, the journey you've been on with, you know, your future will not have children in Mm -hmm. it and, like, what, how maybe that plays into this a little bit? Sure. That was kind of a driving point of contention in our early years because I've always loved kids. I nannied a lot in college, nannied so so hard that I was like, I could never see another kid again and be fine. (laughs) I mean, I nannied hard nights and weekends, took them on trips. And uh, looking at Tripp, Tripp always knew that he wanted to be a dad. That was a goal of his. That was a, he declared that to me, I guess, when we were dating. And I was still kind of like, I don't know, we'll see where it goes. And we did have the conversation while dating. He said, well, if, if you are not wanting to have kids, then we really need to talk about this because I I don't want to marry someone who does not want to have kids. And so I kind of just said, yeah, 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 we'll have, we'll have kids. You know, I'll, I'll want kids at some point. And this is kind of a two-sided story, but fast forward, marriage still struggling. This is like year three or four. We were like, okay, I was in grad school at this time, most stressful season of life. I was like, okay we'll just start trying to have kids because Tripp really wants this. And I saw it as a sacrifice at that time. So we tried to have kids. It did not work out. So after about a year, we sought expert help, went through a lot of different avenues, um, found out that Tripp was unable to have kids. And so we kind of pursued a lot of different medical directions, um, ended up having some procedures and just were never able to have kids. And 
I'll back up and say that um, I I did things and, and made decisions kind of on autopilot in that season of life. Things that looking back, I wish that I would not have done because I was not in a healthy space. So I said yes to things that I was not truly sure or maybe okay with, maybe even from a faith perspective. But I said yes because I thought that that was what my husband wanted and that's what I should do. I should want to have kids. Mm-hmm. But fast forwarding to, or not fast forwarding, but kind of highlighting where my thought has been, I kind of always thought I should want to have kids and I never, now this is very vulnerable, but I have never really had the desire to have kids and I've always felt like something is wrong with me because of that and the older that I get, I'm like, okay, surely at some point I'm going to develop this desire. Like, I love this man so much. Our marriage is in a beautiful spot. Like, I kind of always was scared to bring kids into the mix because of where our marriage was. And I knew that kids would not fix anything. But anyways, so Tripp and I have wrestled with this for a really, really long time. But four years ago when we started really working on our marriage, we, we kind of opened that box again. Like, where do we feel about kids? And <clears throat> through lots of prayer and counseling. And it's interesting because where this, that was Tripp's number one desire all that he wanted for our future he now is at peace with not having kids now granted he is not able to biologically have them but we are both at such a peace of like okay lord trip cannot have kids and i don't really have the number one desire to be a mom but we're open like whatever you have for us if there is a child that you want in our care if you want trip to be able to have kids allow that to happen and and we will steward that and so I think it's this piece of openness that's like no that's not my number one desire and I'm not seeking that actively but also Lord whatever you want for our lives that will be fine with us whether you know I don't know there's there's multiple multiple ways that we could have kids but our village just looks differently than what we thought it would and we've got nieces and nephews now and they're awesome. Actually, my sister-in-law just had her baby yesterday on Tripp's birthday, so we love that. <laughs> so there are still hard times when we bring up the discussion of kids because I still feel like, as a woman, are you supposed to have this like innate desire to just like be a mom? Because if you translate that into biblical mindset, people would say, yeah, you know, you want to have kids and raise a kingdom for the Lord, but... Also, my counselor reminded me, she's like, everybody's path does not look the same and everybody's ministry doesn't look the same and everybody's desire is not the same. So it doesn't mean that you're broken. And yeah, it doesn't mean that the Lord can't use you for different things. Mm-hmm. So coming to accept that is, has been hard. I mean, there's days that I do grieve that. I think you grieve what you can't have, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, that's tough Alexander and I have always thought like when we first got together we were so aligned on kids are icky yeah (laughs) that'll never be us we won't be the fools that have (laughs) the stinky diapers and all of that and as time has gone on I've been it's more the thought of like well I wouldn't be like a terrible mom like Mm. it would be my kids 
maybe they wouldn't hate me. Mm. And he's still, and maybe that's more of like fear based for me, but he's still more like, no, like we decided we weren't going to have kids. Like Mm. I still feel the same way. Mm. And like, okay. And so (laughs) you still have that, like what you're describing it's awkward because you look around and especially in the South, like what wives, you know, there's a lot of very young mothers and a lot of very big families and your community often has other people with kids. Mm -hmm. And when you're the couple that doesn't have kids, it's like, well, something wrong. Right. It's like, like, where do, where do I belong? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then especially going through, the last few years in our small groups where the wives have had their first child and then their second Mm -hmm. child and you sort of you don't grow out of your small group like they outgrow you in a sense and it's like well I'm still confident in the way that I feel and I'm not gonna have kids just to have kids because everybody else does and so you're like well like does that make me selfish does Mm. that make me inconsiderate and so it's it's kind of tough to navigate that Mm -hmm. especially when you know you're surrounded by something different so absolutely thank you for sharing sure I think the selfish term is what stuck out and I've asked Trip like am I selfish because I don't want this and I've asked my counselor I've asked multiple friends like am I am I selfish I mean because there have been things by close family members said to me that are very hurtful like you know, so are you just like not going to do this? And it's like, well, also take a, put yourself in our shoes. Like when one person in the marriage physically can't have kids, that decision now has been taken away from you. And I still trust the, I mean, I trust the Lord for healing completely. If that's what he decides, like there, there are plenty of miracles and blessings out there, but also if not, am I going to choose to say that God is still good and that it's okay that my story looks different? And in my line of work, I deal with so much end of life and preparation for end of life. I am not scared about end of life, but when I consider navigating difficult family situations, like who is present for this elderly individual, what does the kid situation look like? It makes me think, gosh, what if I don't have kids to help me? Like, who's going to take care of me when I get older? Who's going to take care of Tripp and I? Who are going to be our people? I'm like, man, I really have got to get in with my nieces and nephews. Like, they have got to love me. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. That's I could sit here and worry about that, but I I have to give that back to the Lord because I can't fast forward to when I'm 80. I don't need to stress about that. Mm -hmm. If this is what the Lord chooses for my life, He will make a way and we will be fine. Yes. So there's just... That's multifaceted, but I'm not just going to have kids so I can have someone. I'm not going to go find a kid or this conversation can come off very rude. And I I recognize that, but I want to be respectful for anyone who's in a season of life where they can't have kids and really desire that. But I am not going to make certain choices for our family just for convenience or Mm -hmm. to have to say that I've done this thing. So that's not where my heart is currently. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's sort of selfishly is like comforting to like, I'm not alone. It's not unreasonable to feel this way. No, you're very much not alone. And I think that the problem is with us as humans is we're not willing to be vulnerable into these really dark shadowy areas of our life. And then when we open these up, we have, there's, there's people that kind of come out of the woodworks and it's like, Oh, me too. Me too. And so like, 
with our marriage. When I remember the Lord drew me to this one girl that I kind of knew from church. She's older than me. And after all that happened, January 2020 was kind of like when we started working on things. And I just felt led to ask this friend to lunch. And I shared my testimony. I didn't even know that that was going to happen. And literally, she looked at me and she said, me too. Like, literally, our lives were parallel. We had made the same decisions, marriage in the same place. And at that point, I knew, I was like, this is this is why our testimonies are important. This is why sharing those dark moments of our life with, like, just unabandoned is so important. And it's hard to say these things, but I've learned speaking them out, it is takes the power away from the enemy. The enemy has no power in my story anymore because I'm not going to let him, I'm, I'm not going to hide from these things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess switching gears a little <clears throat> bit to something a little lighter. <laughs> sure. <laughs> how did, how did photography go from something maybe you were interested in to you were getting more involved with to now it's a whole second career that's sure. Thriving. Yeah. I mean, I always kind of loved taking pictures. My parents gave me a camera in high school, selfishly, to take pictures of my brother's sporting events. And I mentioned nannying earlier. I started taking pictures of the kids that I nannied and just developed a passion for, like, creating images and holding on to memories. I've always loved printed out photo albums and, like, looking at old pictures. So there's always been this creative drive. But I... I obviously became a nurse first and never really thought about doing photography as more than like just a tiny, tiny little side hobby, taking like Christmas card family pictures. And then when I moved to Columbus, I really didn't have strong community for a couple of years, like three or four years. I mean, I really didn't because I worked in Opelika and we went to church. It was mostly trips friends that I knew and hung out with. So I didn't really have community of my own. <clears throat> and then I started going to Riverflow Yoga and <laughs> shameless plug. Yeah. And the photographer that was there was actually leaving. And so I met Tony, my friend, and she just kind of mentioned, hey, you know, this girl that does photography. So that that truly was my first ever business wow. or like commercial kind of gig. And I think for them, it was probably trial and error because they didn't, I mean, we were just experimenting and luckily it worked out and it, the gates just like flooded open from there Mm -hmm. and word of mouth, the town is surprisingly small that just spread. And I just kind of grew into this, like, oh, I really enjoy this Mm -hmm. and I really enjoy I want to do more of this. Like, this is, this is cool. <laughs> so did that, is that sort of how your path went more commercial photography? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so. businesses reached out to you based off of mm-hmm. Riverflow. Mm-hmm. And then I would actually reach out to businesses too, mm-hmm. like seeing things like, okay. And I've learned that that's okay. Like, you know, that saying slide into the DMs. I have no fear of that anymore. If I, it's kind of like, if I want something, I'm going to try to go get it. The worst people can say is no. So like, hey, by the way, I think you need some nice photos of your business. I'd love to help you out. So that's kind of how it went more commercial. But I would say my favorite thing is working with artists and other creatives, no matter what form that is. So whether it's with restaurants, you know, food is an art form, whether it's painters, sculptors, woodworkers, musicians, small business owners, to me, I see it all as art and creative. I am tasked with taking your vision and your image for your own business and putting a certain look to it to make it inviting. And 
I love that more than anything because it's highlighting what somebody else is passionate about and mixing it with my passion. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of kind of how I got to where I where I am. It's yeah, <laughs> incredible. So from the I'll say, you know, client introduction to the shoot, to the editing, to the delivery, what part of that process is your favorite? No, I think the creative process in talking to family photography is a little bit different. There's a vision maybe, but for like businesses, they have a vision of kind of what they want. I love learning what that vision is, why that vision is what it is, how they became a creative. So I basically sit down and do a shortened version of what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. I ask them, I want to know why they're passionate about this because I want that to bleed through the photos. I want people to look at the photos and see the passion in their work. Mm -hmm. And so that is my favorite, favorite part about the job. And then also editing. I, I don't like the actual <laughs> editing itself, but I love seeing the vision come to life mm -hmm. with just me putting my own personal spin on things. Oh, it's like you get to dream with them. Yeah. You get to like dream and, and manifest yes. and just like step into their world and it's I like that. an escape. I oh, love it. When you're in your, there's, when I enter into their studio or their workplace, like that's their pride and joy. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. It just, it makes me so happy. Mm -hmm. I, I'm truly fulfilled by that. And granted, there are business sides of things, which my brain doesn't really work that way. And I'm, I'm learning as I go, but I'm very fulfilled creatively through mm -hmm. photography. I have at least two cameras on me at all times. <laughs> no matter where I go, I go to the grocery store, I have a camera. I just, I see the world through the, that lens. Mm. Everything I see, I mean, even in just sitting in your home now, I see, I see things through the lens of my camera and I wish I could capture everything, but I've also learned like there not every moment needs a picture taken. So yeah. there's a fine balance, but even when you went to France, I guess it was in, was that in February this in year? Yeah. January. Yeah, yeah. And it was winter time. And I just remember seeing the photos of how you captured the architecture, just, mm. you know, the little cafe and it wasn't, nothing was staged or nobody was posing and you just feel the energy like exude mm -hmm. through the little square on Instagram but you have such a gift of perfect placement and framing and lighting and so it's comes completely natural like thank you <laughs> I don't know it's beautiful it's beautiful to see and it like corresponds with you know a side hustle or yeah, a yeah, business yeah. it really worked out yeah I mean it really worked out well in that regards but mm -hmm. like I just see so much beauty in the world mm -hmm. and I think that capturing it with a camera is so special because those memories get to live on and it's funny mm -hmm. people multiple people have said to me recently like when they're scrolling on Instagram they know when a picture is mine and I was like oh that's cool like how do you know that and it's just like a certain energy that mm -hmm. it puts off and I, I don't even recognize it per se um but I think that that's cool because it's now become cohesive. Like my mm. vision is coming to life and I'm able to, whether it's a family shoot or a shoot that I take when I'm traveling or a business shoot, people can tell that it's my work and I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but mm -hmm. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. It becomes your art, you know, mm -hmm. your style. And then that probably drives a, a client base that's, mm -hmm. <clears throat> more in line with your vision and mm -hmm. your like likenesses and all of that. Yeah. So, so how many times now have you been to France? Maybe 
four, five, four or five probably. I do love France. I think that, so the first time I ever went, I went to Paris and I, I was on like a double-decker bus tour and then they just took you to all the hot spots and I was like, okay, I've seen it. I don't have any desire to come back. There was nothing special about it. But then that was, I traveled with a friend. The next time I went, I traveled with Trip, and mm. I saw it through his eyes mm. and it was like, just lit up. I mean, Paris was like the greatest place to him. And so I saw it differently and I was like, oh yeah, I want to come back here. And so each time we've been to France, we just like expand on that vision. And, um, I would, it's not my favorite country, but I do, I do love it. I don't know what keeps us coming back. Probably the architecture, because I see it's almost like I know what I'm going to capture. Like Mm. I kind of see my travel through what am I looking at getting out of this? What is this going to serve? It's kind of a creative refresher to me because Mm. I like, I love culture. I love different cultures so much. And the French culture is very interesting and I don't really understand it, even though I've been multiple times. So Mm -hmm. French people are interesting. Yes. And (laughs) I imagine that going with trip and doing that, you know, bonding when you're there makes the place special. It could Mm -hmm. be, you know Mexico or middle right. of nowhere anywhere right. but like the fact that you're sharing that together mm-hmm. so do you have any travel coming up I do I'm headed to Italy with my very best friend Avery in October <laughs> so excited we're so ready yeah we're so ready so very excited we're gonna do Florence and Tuscany area she's never been so mm. and then we'll do a, a little bit of Milan because that's where we're flying in and out of and Lake Como mm. so very yes very excited my Those camera is gonna spots. be so happy yes I've been to Italy multiple times but every t- it's just like with anything every time you travel it's different I could go to the same place every time I travel and it's different like Savannah is mine and trips favorite one of our favorite cities we go so often we don't even have to have anything to do i mean we literally it's just like a second home to us but every time i go i get something different out of it Mm. whether we eat at the same spots and do the exact same thing mentally i get something different Mm. my vision is different i I leave with a different i'm fulfilled in different ways Mm -hmm. so that's why i love travel so much because you go to the same place every single time and it's Mm. different it's you leave with something different yeah where are you guys gonna go before you renew your vows that's a good question. So people ask me this all the time. Like, how do you plan your travel? I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of a gut feeling. Like I, Tripp and I may say like, okay, we really want to go to Spain. Well, if I start to plan Spain, I, sometimes I'll just have this feeling like, I don't know. I'm just like, something is off about the vibe (laughs) and I will search for a place until I feel like the vibe is content. And when I know, I know, and I know that's weird. So we are, we have been searching and trip is he's like Morgan we've already talked about this I'm like yeah and I want to keep talking about it until I, <laughs> until I feel sure so we've thrown so many places out but I think we've settled on Portugal I, oh, I think uh, stay tuned yeah we really want to go to Sicily that's our number one but I think we're gonna we only have like five to seven days this time so super short trip I think I want to do Sicily when we have a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get there. It's hard to get there. And yeah, I think that's why I didn't want to do it for this trip. I'm like, okay, an island five days, that's plenty. But so I don't know. We may end up in Sicily in in December, but 
I'm still not 100% sure. And Tripp's aggravated because he's like, we've already talked about this. We've already picked our places. I've told you everywhere I want to go. Oh, my goodness. But when, the, when, but it's when I know, dream. I know. It's, yeah. I love to dream. Like, half the fun of, of the trip is planning it. And exactly. Then seeing that vision come to fruition and all of that. And because I see things through my camera, my camera has seen certain types of trips mm. I'm craving something so different so like for example I'm, I've seen the European the big cities the cobblestone streets in December we've seen the Christmas markets I'm wanting like bananas and mangoes on the side of the road I'm wanting like to be immersed in culture where the food is so different from everything that we've been I want vibrant colors I want I don't know that's kind of where my or my thought is now but in December that's hard so mm-hmm. We've played around with certain places, but then I'm like, we also don't like the beach very much. So it's kind of this fine balance of like, we don't really want to go somewhere too tropical. So I don't, I'm just kind of stuck in this no man's land. Like I'll know the place when I mm-hmm. find it. So I've become well acquainted with a map. I can pretty much tell you how much flights are to any part of the world. Mm. <laughs> I love that. I stalk it all the time. <laughs> so wait, do you only fly Delta or are you open to... Yeah. I am a Delta girl. Yes. Another shameless plug. I tell people, they're like, how do you travel so much? I'm like, well, I started out kind of young and I built up this database. Mm. Like when you you choose one company and you build up miles and points and... You know, at first, it kind of is expensive to kind of get the ground in running, but I plan trips for pretty cheap. I mean, like, it is very possible. Like, what a lot of people spend on maybe going to Disney World or to the beach, we spend on going to Europe. Mm -hmm. So it is not, it is not impossible. Mm -hmm. It's probably more expensive to go to Disney World these days than what I spend on a vacation, but that's because I've just kind of learned how to plan. Mm -hmm. And trip. Trip does not like to rough it as much as I do, but like for me, I would be fine in taking a backpack and staying in a hostel. So I have to plan a little bit nicer trip because of, <laughs> because of him. I'd be fine with staying with people like an Airbnb and I'm staying in someone else's home, don't know them. I'm fine with things like that. Mm-hmm. I learned our first trip that I planned. Trip does not like things like that. So <laughs> we showed up and I was like, oh, by the way, and we're going to be sharing a bathroom with the owners. And he was like, what? And I'm like... It was our way of, it was cheaper. So this is how I got us here. So I'm fine with that kind of thing, but we have elevated our travel a little bit for trip. Oh, bless. (laughs) Love him so much. Yeah. (laughs) So my last question for you, just to wrap things up, if money was no object and you woke up tomorrow and didn't have to worry about any logistics of anything, where, tell me what that perfect day would be. Mm. I would... Wake up and do yoga. <laughs> Wake up and do yoga or exercise in some way. I would go to the coffee shop and have a little moment there. And then I would head out on a first class plane ticket somewhere. I, I know you said just a day, but like if yes. the money was no object, I would get the plane with the lay down bed, <laughs> all the amenities, and fly to like a place of my dreams. Mm-hmm. So that would be what I would choose to do with all the money in the world. Yeah. Love it. I love it. Thank <laughs> so you. So if somebody so much. wants to right. yeah, support me on a first class flight somewhere, then great. Right. This is like any benefactors out there. Yeah, hello. Delta. Delta. <laughs> yeah. Delta sponsored me. Right. Love me. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and sharing your 
incredible, deep, vulnerable <laughs> you. It's so beautiful, and I'm so thankful for our friendship. Thank you. Me too. I'm so glad that we met. I mean, again, river flow. Like, yes. right time, right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Lord's so gracious and putting people in our lives that we didn't know we needed. Right. Shout out to Gumby. For <laughs> Shout out to Gumby. Yeah. Another shameless plug. Thanks, Gumby. Yeah. Yeah. Gumby could sponsor us. Oh, Gun- he- Gumby. Yes. <laughs> send me to Morocco first class flight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, we'll send this to him once it gets edited. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.